The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. From Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you are joining us, and thank you so much for posting on our Facebook page and for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook, and thank you also for your emails. It's great to hear from you and hear what's happening for you in your recovery and your spirituality journey. Thank you so much for participating. And I also want to thank you for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, and other spiritual communities know about us here on Unity Online Radio, know about Spirit of Recovery. I love the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of recovery and spirituality here on unityonlineradio.org. And I'm also so glad to know that the guests that we bring you are touching your heart and making a real difference for you. Every week we do talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. Our guests are either people who are in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people or who um, have spiritual understanding and wisdom that they can share that's a help to the recovery journey. And so they're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to us here in a variety of ways. Of course, you can listen through your computer. Um, You can listen through your smart device. You can listen live. You can also download our archives. You can go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery. And we've got several years worth of great archives that you can download on demand. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, and so if you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member or the family member or friend of someone with the disease of addiction and whether or not you or they are in recovery or perhaps you're just curious looking for some information about recovery and spirituality, you're so welcome here. Um, As a listener, you're welcome here uh, with your comments and your questions with us here on Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad to have you participate. Again, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. 
I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction, and about 33 years ago now, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And my walk continues to be an integration of the unity principles and the recovery principles, and that walk transforms my life and keeps me growing in ever deeper ways. So again, I am very grateful, very delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you, to bring you great guests, and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and your recovery walk. Today, we have, as usual, a a topic that I think will get you thinking and open you up to some different uh, approaches, maybe, to uh, deepening your spirituality and your recovery. And uh, our topic today is the 12 Steps. A Mindful Approach. And our guest today is George Duars, and he is a licensed social worker. He is an addictions counselor. He has a website called motivationformaintenance.com, and he works with people on uh, working through relapse and through uh, relapse prevention. George also has a very innovative and interesting approach to the concept of mindfulness and the 12 steps. I uh, saw an article that uh, George had written in a professional uh, addiction counselor journal, and uh, it was it just fascinated me because he's talking about how the 12 steps um, actually are a path to mindfulness, and he brings these ideas together. So we're going to be very uh, delighted today to hear all that George has to share. So, George, thanks for being my guest today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Glad you're here. So one of the things that uh, you say about yourself is that you uh, used to consider yourself a psychotherapist, and certainly you have the training and the credentials for that. But at some point, you changed your idea about that, and now you call yourself a psychosomatic therapist. What do you mean, and why did you make that change? Well, as you can imagine, a psychotherapist is primarily, historically, we've been focused on the psyche, and it's pretty much all from the neck up. Um, And I was very much, I'm from, I'm a a college kid brat. My father was a professor, and, um, you know, I grew up in a very mental world, and it was uh, within the last few years that my my struggles to understand and even actually practice mindfulness um, led me to get much more interested in the physical side of things and the, the inseparability of them. Um, I went to, actually specifically, I went to a mindfulness conference. Uh, Richard Fields puts these on several times a year in different places in the country. They're mindfulness conferences. And um, one of the speakers... I think it might have been John Briere, it might have been Tara Brack, but it was one of the folks of those speakers was very specific about, and, and working with trauma, by the way, um, paying attention, just teaching people to pay attention to their sensations and kind of tune into them. And I'd always had people tune into their minds and watch their associations and that kind of thing. I started doing that, and wow, um, you know, when the mind lets itself connect with the body and, in effect, listen to the body, you, you a lot comes out. and um, so that's that's one that, that's probably uh, the, the thrust of, of my answer. In addition, um, you know, John Kabat-Zinn, um, with his mindfulness-based stress reduction, um, uses the body scan as the first phase of treatment. And I wound up going to a 10-day retreat um, 
with a specific kind of meditation. It turns out their primary meditation is the body scan. And so I've, I've kind of incorporated it in my own practice, and I encourage it with some clients. I don't teach meditation that much in, in um, my office. But, you know, that just the, the whole importance of not just getting things intellectually, but getting them at, at the level of, of your, your physical being and, and, uh, and working with craving. Cravings are physical. So that's yet another mm-hmm. to be interested in the body. For sure. So it sounds like that. Um, that again, your your uh, your own personal experience, and now as you're working with uh, clients, right. that you're finding that when when you uh, begin to become aware of your body, that it opens up a whole new level of of self understanding. Is that right. accurate? Yeah. 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 What are but. You know, what are some of the things that you uh, see? You just mentioned the idea, the idea of craving, and maybe in a little bit we'll, we'll talk some more about that. What are some of the other things that you find open up for people when they begin to really notice their body and make that connection? What kind of richness uh, comes out from that? Um. Well, I mean, I know it's hard to generalize. Well, the, the most general thing I guess I can say is that when when you pay attention to a, a physical sensation that is involved in it's some kind of reaction to something that bothers you or something is bothering you, um, that but you may not know what's bothering you or you may not know what it's connected to. It's for some reason when you pay attention to the sensation without, it's, it's very important. You're not judging it. You're not trying to make it go away. You're not analyzing it. You're not trying to fix it. Um, you just let it be and, you know, you're mindful of it. You just rest your, resting attention is the phrase I use with clients and I can't remember if I got that from the conference or not. Um, but when a person rests attention on a sensation that's, that's almost always part of a reaction, um, a lot of times the other elements of the reaction come to the surface, whether it's a memory, um, you know, a memory or a specific worry or maybe, a, you know, the emotion. But usually it's, it's the, the, the physical, paying attention to the physical brings out the, um, the cognitive part of it. And sometimes it can be, you know, pretty old and sometimes it's, you know, just maybe just an automatic thought, um, you would say. Right. And what are some of the results that you've seen in people's lives when they are practicing mindfulness or do this? Does it make a difference in their quality of their life and quality of recovery? Yeah, it, it's it's relaxing. I mean, my, mindfulness is relaxing. And um, and it is, you know, the, the reason we have mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is one of the major... Um, how would I call it, a, a major inventions, um, you know, that was introduced into Western medicine, it's getting to be 20 years ago now, I guess, um, that um, it reduces stress because mindfulness, most of our stress isn't about what's actually happening. It's about what we're afraid is going to happen or what already happened. And if we get ourselves into the present and into our own current actual life, the only life we ever have, which is right this minute, <laughs> then, then Stress goes down dramatically, and so it can. If, if you're, if you have addictions, it, you know, it reduces craving. If you have anxiety, that'll mm-hmm. go down. If, you know, it just um, all the negative things that go with having a mind that's that's uh, you know out in the future and 
creating bonfires and getting burned by them, imaginary bonfires, but the burning is real. And um, mm-hmm. just in the present moment, the present moment, as bad as it can be, is almost never anywhere nearly as bad as, as the uh, the one we create with our minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can we can imagine some pretty amazing things. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little more about um, how how you do the practice of mindfulness and how you use that with the people that you work with. Well, a lot of people I work with aren't really ready for any sort of formal meditation. It's, um, you know, if you go to, I've been to any number of mindfulness conferences or presentations where people talk about using this, and a lot of it, frankly, is to keep me more mindful. Um, you know, the more mindful, the more tuned I am in, in the session, the, um, the better results I get. And um, in, terms, in terms of just connecting with people and noticing things I otherwise wouldn't have or being open picking up nuances that would have gone right by me. And um, so I do, I try to do a walking meditation that I sort of evolved. It's, it's a mixture of uh, a walking meditation with some deep breathing and, and body scan. And, and, and uh, uh, so there are some cognitive things. I have, I have my five enoughs that I try to repeat, which are very calming. Um, and I'll try to do them, you know, after each session as a, as a way to calm George down so that George is then, he clears as much as he can from the last session and he's, he's tuned in for the next person. Um, so that, mm-hmm. that's actually the main ways. And there are times during sessions when the client's quiet or maybe we're running uh, the EMDR. Uh, I have a device called the Theracapper that we use. And while the client is uh, being quiet, I'll be sitting there trying to just keep me quiet and keep, keep me present. Um, the mm-hmm. clients themselves, you know, I'm not, I encourage them to, you know, there are a lot of resources. I'm, I'm in the Northwest, and we have, uh, you know, lots of mindfulness resources here. Um, and I will encourage them to check them out, or I'll refer them to books. Um, but in early recovery, I don't find a lot of people grab onto that. You know, every now and then, somebody might. Um, I've read, there, there are five books. Um, I think I've read three of them. Um, about integrating the 12 steps and um, recovery and, you know, 12 step recovery. And my Mm -hmm. impression is that they tend to come at it from the point of view, they're already committed to, you know, Buddhism or insight, meditation, Vipassana, whatever they want to call it. Um, And then they kind of paste that on to the 12 steps would be a clumsy way of putting it. And I frankly mm-hmm. was coming from the other direction of starting with the 12 steps. And, and not just the steps, but structure of, um, structure of the program and the other practices and slogans. Some of the slogans, one day at a time. There are two, mm-hmm. I can think of three slogans off the top of my head. One day at a time is an incredible mindful practice um, along mm-hmm. with halt. Because you can't, you can't practice halt without paying attention to yourself. Um, and uh, Oh, gosh. Oh, the next indicated thing. Doing the next indicated thing means stay present, pay attention, watch for what needs to be done right now, and do it. <laughs> um, right. So I may have gotten off your question a bit there. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. That was good. Uh, I do wanna, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, and then uh, in the second part of the program, I want to come back to talking uh, more about that direct relationship in your article that you made between the 12 steps and the mindfulness, because it's fascinating. Right. I just I just loved your perspective. Yeah. But you, you, you said two things about what you do, and I want to 
hear about them and how you do them. When you talked about the body scan that you said, I think you got from John Cabot Zinn, and that's Z-I-N-N, and he's certainly uh, uh, a well-known name and, and an author, and as you, you've gone to his workshops, you said the, the body scan, and then you talked about your five enough. So tell us right. first about a body scan. What's that and how you do it? Um, well, how you how you do it? By the way, you you can. There are a number of ways to learn how to do it, but Kabat-Zinn has a tape um, of it, and um, essentially you you pay attention to things that you ordinarily wouldn't pay attention to. Like you you start with your feet. He starts with the toes, individual toes on one foot. Um, I'm not don't quite have the patience for that, and I've been to some workshops where people did it more briefly. And and in, in the retreat, it's um, it's a special kind of vipassana that comes out of uh, Burma, and my understanding is that that's where uh, Kabat-Zinn learned it, but he's adapted it in a, in a, in a different way from how they actually use it. But mm-hmm. it really consists of just putting your attention on a part of your body. It's sort of like progressive relaxation, only instead of progressively relaxing, you're progressively scanning the different parts of your body. And very specifically, the heart of it is paying attention to the sensations you're experiencing in that part of your body. And at least in the version I learned that the, uh, it's Goenka is, is the uh, teacher from Burma who brought this to the world, um, even though he, he didn't create it, but he got it in Burma from other people. Um, but, um, you know, you, you pay attention to the sensations of the, that part of your body. You pay attention to the aliveness. You try to have your attention inside like if I'm paying attention to my foot, I try to feel the inside, the aliveness of my foot. Um, and that's the starting point. And then I might do the ankle and then I might do the lower leg and then I might do the knee. Um, and just basically get myself, get my consciousness completely con- as connected as possible to, to the body. And, um, you know, you can, you can learn. Uh, there, there are different variations of it, but I also tend to combine it with, breathing and breathing, you know, picturing my breath going into the body, part of the body that I'm scanning at any given moment. Um, and I don't quite admit it. I don't remember if the original method used the breathing. I don't think they did. I think they were pretty much focused on just the body. But they really cultivated, uh, this, this is the, uh, the Buddhists, um, and, and they have centers all over North America. If you, if you just Google the Pasta Center, or Pasta Meditation Center, or Goenko, um, you know, you'll you'll find it. Um, but um, they they have you really trying to scan in three dimensions. And once you learn how to do it, they have you do it. Um, they you know they do it in um, what do you call it? Uh, they, you can do a fast scan of the whole body, you know, very quickly and up and down, or then you can go very slowly. And there are different. There are a lot of variations, and it, it is the kind of thing you really need the, the training probably to do it. I can't do it justice on right. the phone. I'm just trying to give you an idea. But the end, the end result sure. is meant to... Hold on to that thought because it's time for our break. So we'll come back and we'll hear some more about, um, about, that, about the body scan. My guest is George Dewars. Our topic is the 12 steps, a mindful approach to life. And uh, stay with us. We'll be right back here on Spirit of Recovery. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. 
visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. jest there is truth shakespeare made the line famous and at holy rascals we've taken it to heart join us at holyrascals.com a spiritual education resource and community of spiritual boundary crossers who are on a truth-seeking journey that doesn't shy away from humor and frank conversations holyrascals.com offers cutting-edge webinars short online videos and podcasts Our featured teachers are inclusive, radical, and often funny people who embrace the common heart of all religions. Find us on Facebook or check out our upcoming programs at www.holyrascals.com. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week. And start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. For listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you for listening with us today. If you're just joining us, our topic is the 12 Steps, A Mindful Approach to Life. We're talking about how the 12 Steps um, really uh, have so much in common with uh, Eastern meditation practice and mindfulness practice, and uh, also talking about how we can cultivate that mindfulness. The, uh, my guest today is George DeVores, and he is a licensed uh, mental health practitioner. He is a licensed social worker, a therapist, and he uh, works as a psychosomatic therapist. He's an author and a trainer, and he focuses on supporting long-term sobriety and on relapse prevention. And you can go to his website at motivationformaintenance.com. Before George and I get back to our discussion, I'd like to invite you to join me for a moment of mindfulness, just a moment of quiet to share a constructive idea and open up 
our awareness to that presence of our higher power with us and within us. So I invite you to share with me this constructive idea. I am whole and wholly loved, body, mind, and soul. I am whole and wholly loved, body, mind, and soul. We take a moment in the quiet. for joining me for the Serenity Minute, and I trust that it was an opportunity to feel that presence of your higher power and to know that you are loved, body, mind, and soul. And now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, George DeWars, and again, we're talking about the 12 Steps, A Mindful Approach to Life. So George, before the uh, break here, you were talking with us about the body scan and um, how that can be a, a wonderful part of mindfulness. And, and you were saying that it's hard to really convey it fully over the uh, air, that, that maybe you really need some training. Um, anything else that you think would be helpful to people to know about the body scan or where they could find a resource for that if they wanted to do it or anything that would be helpful to them about that? Well, John Kabat-Zinn's uh, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction uh, if they just Google that, um, his his book has a title which is cute, but I think it's completely off point. It's called Full Catastrophe Living, um, and it should have been called Mindful ba- no, Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction and Eight Week, an Eight Week. I think it's Eight Week, an Eight Week Course in How to Reduce Your Stress. And he was he originally started working with people with physical pains, um, serious ones, stroke, heart attack, cancer, back problems. Um, and his research showed that this was, you know, beneficial to people in, in coping and dealing with their pain. And then the psychotherapist community started picking up on it for anxiety and depression. And now we have a book on mindfulness-based relapse prevention um, by Dr. Marlatt, who, who recently died. But um, the book is still out there. And, and his colleague, Sarah Rowan, I think her name is, is up here at the University of Washington. Um, so that's that's one way to get to it and, and just running a search. And, you know, there are certified trainers. I'm not one of them, by the way, um, but there are certified mm-hmm. trainers and it would be too hard to track, track or not trainers, cert, well, both, certified trainers and certified uh, people to do it. And if you're in a large enough population center, I know the VA uh, here in Seattle uses it. I know one of the people who does it, um, and he works very directly with John Kabat-Zinn. And, and uh, yeah, that's a whole other that's a local resource. The other, the other way would be to the, for the body scan itself. The people who are the masters of it are the ones that do these uh, Vipassana retreat centers. It's a very specific ten-day retreat, and it, it became famous because it was used in the toughest prisons of India with the worst uh, criminals and and their guards. They all did it together, and since then it's been used. I believe it's still being used in one of the Alabama uh, prisons. There's a book about it called The Dharma Brothers. Um, and uh, we had it being, it was used in a facility for misdemeanor folks uh, here in Seattle until it lost its funding, but it's the same, and it's a very structured 
they're very kind of proprietary about it. They want it done exactly the same way, and they do it the same way all over the world. Um, and it's three, it's, you know, 10 days of silent meditation with um, culminating with uh, a lot of time doing meditation using this body scan. And if you, you Google for, I think Goenka is spelled G-O-E-N-K-A. Uh, he, he has a number of books, obviously, but um, you, you'd be looking for a Vipassana retreat center. And you could probably pull okay. up a list. And if it's the 10-day one, okay. that's, that's the one that specifically does this. And, you know, I don't know great. that there are other three variations of it, but they're the ones that that's really great. credit. Yeah. yeah, so uh, thank you for those resources. So Vipassana is V, as in Victor, I, what, P-A-S-S-A-N-A or something like that. That's close enough, yeah. I guess, right? Yeah, you spelled it. <laughs> to find it. And it's, the pasna, I think, just means insight. So there are lots of things that call them uh, the pasna, and they are. But this is the Vipassana mm-hmm. retreat. And, and they, you, the only way you'll know for sure it's the right one is either it'll, it'll be attached to Goenka's name or that it's 10 days. <laughs> you got to go for 10 right. days. Okay. And Goenka yeah. is G-O-L-I-N-K-A. Okay. That's great. Yeah, Good resources. Free. Yeah. Free. Thank you. Thanks so much. Now, you mentioned, too, the five enough. And uh, first I want to say I appreciate so much, um, George, your uh, saying as a, as a psychosomatic therapist, as a person who works with people, that you realize that your primary uh, tool, in a sense, or your, is, is your own calmness, your own ability to pay attention, and that when you can do that, you really are a productive uh space for people to transform so I appreciate that and you talked about that the five enough that you use uh, as part of your mindfulness practice and so forth and to get some space after you have uh, been with a client so what would you share with us what the five enoughs are um, yeah basically it's it's um, I will uh, well let me let me give them to you and then I'll give you a little bit of context if you, if you like um, but basically sure, yes I um, I start. It's an in breath, out breath thing. And I t- I went to a, a mindfulness workshop with Terry Fralick a number of years. And one of the things I kept out of that Terry has a book out now um, uh, mm-hmm. was the, the the value of the exhale breath. When you take a deep breath into your stomach, fill your lungs. I mean, really fill up and then take a deep breath. And he would ha- encourage you to use some sort of cognition like relax, release, let go. And a number of people emphasize this kind of deep abdominal soothing breathing. Nobody says what to do when you're breathing in. Is <laughs> 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 that the essence? If the essence of the out breath is that you know I'm I'm letting go, the in breath is the complete gratification of my most my most immediate and desperate need, which is for air, and I'm I'm getting enough. And having enough <laughs> is is a huge part of what most addicts, uh, myself included, um, and, and I use the addicts much more broadly than just drugs and alcohol, you know, is, is Americans are addicted to our material things and, um, and food, of course. But, um, you know, there's this tremendous sense of never having enough, not having enough. And so for me, the, the in-breath is having enough. Um, and I've got a personal source for that I'll give you too. But basically the first... Sure. Having, having enough, I breathe in, having enough aliveness, um, and I often will say even from head to toe and do kind of a quick body sweep, and I'm breathing in deeply. Like I said, this, I'm, I've got a lot going on for this. Um, 
and then breathing out, letting go of wanting to have any other sensation that I'm having right this minute and with some attention to what those sensations are. It's mm-hmm. having enough of life, but letting go of wanting to have any other sensation is the first thing. Then, and it's the same format each time, having enough aliveness right this minute, uh, but letting go then of wanting to do anything other than what I'm doing. And again, I try to turn it, tune into the physical doing, what my muscles are actually doing right that moment and the sensation of the doing. Um, and the mm-hmm. third one is having enough and then letting go of wanting to have any other thought than the one that's arising right now. Um, the fourth one is letting go, um, now no, watch me forget, uh, oh, letting go of wanting to be anything other than what I am right now. And the fifth mm-hmm. one is the only one external, it's letting go of wanting things to unfold any different, any differently than they are right this minute. So it's mm-hmm. a combination of that I have enough, but also letting go of one of the five main things that are going to tell me I don't have enough. <laughs> wow. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, and it is so uh, powerful. It's so potent. It's like, whoa, that really is being. That's acceptance and the profound level. Well, wow. and, and so letting go of wanting. I know I can remember the day I read that in John Cabot Zinn, and I got it. He has a lovely little meditation book called "Wherever You Go, There You Are," um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I remember getting that phrase, but there, there, I think, are four things going on there. I'm, I'm body scanning, I'm thinking, I'm breathing, and I'm, oh, I'm, and I'm doing a walking meditation all at the same time. And the, the Hindus have this metaphor of the, uh, that the mind is like an elephant. And if your elephant, if your elephant is going through a marketplace um, in India, and this is true for like 5,000 years, its trunk will reach out and just grab everything inside kind of like the monkey mind. Mm-hmm. And um, I just realized I have, I'm, I may be an elephant mentally, but I've got four trunks. So I need, I need a lot of this. <laughs> oh, and, and what they say is to stop the elephant from doing that, all you have to do is give it something to hold. Mm-hmm. And that's a, me- a metaphor for meditation in different things that we hold in meditation. I think they were using mantras. But it mm-hmm. could be the breath. It could be part of the body. Right. It's just give, give, give that busy, busy uh, trunk something to hold on to so that it'll, it'll stop going where it doesn't have any business. And, and like I said, uh-huh. I think I have four. Um, but the, the, other, the other thing yeah. is I did have, I have the, the most powerful burning bush kind of experience I've had. I'm not going to tell you the whole thing on the radio, but um, basically it was at a point in my life where I was emotionally devastated and I heard a voice, and it, it said, you have enough. You have enough. It completely blew me away. I mean, my first thought was, wow, I'm going psychotic. But, you know, for in the decades since that day, and I can tell you the date, I'm not going to, but <laughs> I can tell you the date. Okay. Um, birthday of one of my sons, the, the only son for whose birth I was present. Anyway, the, the thing is, I heard that this enough voice, and it's just been sort of growing ever since. And sometimes uh-huh. it's time in spite of me but anyway uh-huh. it, 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 back to your elephant uh, image it almost right. sounds like maybe that was the first profound uh, awakening of, that that elephant could have something to hold that was life-giving 
in the sense, or in the, I don't mean that you've never had a life-giving experience. I don't know if it was the first. I'd been exposed to a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it certainly was a powerful one, and it, and it just, the, the whole idea of enough um, seems to be growing. And, and uh, even even since I wrote the article, um, by the way, the article, I believe the article, I have to check when I hang up, I believe the article we're talking about on uh, the mindful practices of the of Alcoholics Anonymous, I think it's the title I used, is on that website that you mentioned. Good. So it's on, yeah, motivationformaintenance.com. That's your right. website, it's, it's right? It's also on the web. It was, it was published originally before the magazine. It was published at um, um, wisebrain.org, which the guy who wrote Buddha's Brain, and I'm, I'm blanking, I'm embarrassed. Uh, you don't mm-hmm. have to know, I suppose. Um, but anyway, he has a website. It's called Wisebrain. Dot org and on the website there's a wise brain bulletin and the article was published there um, and later uh-huh. and later republished by the um, magazine. Great, yeah, and that was the I think the addiction it was Nadex magazine the and the addiction professional yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's not great. So people could go on. Advances mm-hmm. in addiction recovery is a magazine published by Nadex. That's right. Right, yeah. that's right. Advances in addiction recovery. Okay, and then people could, but as I said, they could find it on your motivationformaintenance.com website easily too, right? Right. And they can. I, just, I don't remember. I meant to put it there, and if I didn't, my my email address is there, and they can email me, and I'll send it to them. But I'll, I'll check. If it's not there, I'll put it up. Perfect. Yeah, because I'd love for people to read it. It's really good. So let's talk about that some more. Um, again, to me, what you just described in in your five enoughs, uh, right. which are profound, it, it is to me. It does strike me such as as acceptance, and um, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. something that you did right. Is that acceptance and surrender are the foundational concepts in the twelve step spiritual growth right. recovery program, and. Um, right. Those are the profound, those are the bottom line concepts in um, in mindfulness. So, tell us some more about that. How do you see the twelve steps as almost a program for for mindfulness? What do you mean? And you said some things earlier too. So what? Well, how do you mean by that? Some of the slogans and um, one one day at a time is one of the first tools anybody is taught in recovery to not take that first drink one day today today only which reduces the problem. It seems like a mountain, but when you reduce it to one day, it may not be a molehill, but it's considerably, you know, less overwhelming. Um, and that's one of the ways my mindfulness works, is if it reduces our life to just, well, what do I got to do, you know, not just even this day, but this moment, um, you know, then then the stress, the stress goes down. The, the size, the magnitude of what seems like something overwhelming goes down. Um, and the the meetings um, the meetings help somebody um, among other things become stay mindful mindful in the fundamental sense of awareness of that I am still an alcoholic today and if I drink I'm hearing stories in every meeting about what happens if I do drink um, there is a a nice line I heard in an AA meeting in Everett Washington a few years ago I don't know if it's if it's around the country but it's um, People who don't keep coming back to meetings don't get to hear what happens. People who don't keep coming back to meetings, and um, mm-hmm. that's the you know that's a, a, an observation, an important one about um, the mindful you know effect 
the effect on mindfulness, on continued awareness. Uh, another one mm-hmm. I think I quoted in the article is, it ain't, it ain't alcoholism, it's alcoholism. And uh, mm-hmm. there, there are a number of things, and if, if we just talk about the steps, um, surrender, the third step, is, in my understanding of surrender, and I've had some experience with it, less than I might like, but, you know, I, I have enough experience with surrender to know that when you really do it, you know, you're surrendering your will for the future to be how you want it to be. Um, you, you surrender your will for wanting the present to be any different than it is, and you surrender your will for the past to be any different. Well, when you surrender all that, what's left? Present moment. You That's are right. here. Hang on to that thought, yeah. and it's time for our break. We'll be right back and um, talking with my guest, George DeWars, about the 12 steps as a mindful approach to life, and we'll hear some more about that surrender. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Looking for the spiritual in your everyday life? Searching for meaning in the meaningless? Check out the book, Rants to Revelations, by Reverend Ogan Holder. Using his characteristic wit, humor, and storytelling, Reverend Ogan brings spiritual insight into practically every arena of human life. From issues of spiritual growth and family life to deep theological concerns about God and reality, he combines personal narrative with philosophical and scientific understanding to bring a fresh perspective into the life of faith in today's postmodern world. Pick up a copy of Rants to Revelations today from www.rantstorevs.com. We know that God is the source of our prosperity, but how do we manifest it in our lives? We simply change our limiting patterns around money, relationships, and health. Then, naturally, our vitality goes up, and so does our cash flow. We start to live with purpose, sharing our unique ability. Join us on Prosperity Power Hour every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time to claim your divine inheritance. Prosperity for all. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you are listening. If you're just joining us, our topic today is the 12 Steps, A Mindful Approach to Life. My guest is George Duars. George is a psychotherapist or a psychosomatic therapist. He's um, a licensed uh, social worker and a master's in social work. He uh, works with people in supporting long-term sobriety and relapse prevention, and he also is a person that practices mindfulness himself, that shares that uh, concept with his clients, and he has written a wonderful article about the 12 steps as a mindful approach, and uh, you can read that article um, from his website, that's 
motivationformaintenance.com. And um, you can learn more about what George does. He, he does lots of interesting things that support people in recovery. So before our break, uh, George, you were sharing with us about the concept of surrender and about, uh, in direct ways, how mindfulness and the 12 steps uh, really go together. So uh, share with us a little bit more about how you see that surrender and then talk to us about steps four through nine uh, and how those are part of mindfulness. Because we might not usually think of four through nine as being mindful, but because there's a lot of work, but they are. So they're working. You pay attention to yourself. Let, let, before I talk about four through nine, let me just say a thought that came to me that I think is a, an important part of this. Um, a lot of the mindfulness material uh, or mindfulness trainings and workshops and whatever that are available in North America focus almost entirely on the breath med- meditation. And mm-hmm. part of I wrote my article um, was because I find it frustrating that when I, my study of I started with Thich Nhat Hanh and, and his book, The Miracle of Mindfulness. It is so clear that mindfulness is so much more than sitting meditation, and there are all sorts of daily practices he was describing, much more like somebody working a program. And I had the uh, mm-hmm. validation last year. I went to a conference where Marsha Linehan, who created dialectical behavior therapy, was speaking, and she just said really bluntly mm-hmm. two things. One is her patients couldn't do sitting meditation in the beginning. These were highly disturbed, suicidal people, uh, number one, and um, that there's a lot more to, there's a lot more to mindfulness than sitting meditation. And um, so that's, that's part of what motivated me to write the, uh, what I did in the article. The other thing is I, I'm not really well informed on what she does, but I have a pretty strong impression that a lot of the tools she starts people with are not and not unlike what is somebody working the 12-step program uses in the beginning. You know, a simple tool like one day at a time. Um, you know, and I don't know that, that in particular. But anyway, so back back to the um, the steps, four through nine. Those are the, you know, the house cleaning steps. And in the big book, it says, you know, we can surrender, we can have a wonderful spiritual experience, but it doesn't last unless we clean house. And the reason for that is our house is metaphorically full of, negativity, uh, full of shame, full of guilt, full of resentment. And that shame, guilt, and resentment makes it very hard to sit still. <laughs> one, one of the things that Buddhism was not set up to do was to pull somebody off the street who has been running and ripping and robbing and, you know, who knows what, but has been doing things that they are enormously ashamed of, um, can't believe they did them. And and then, you know, sit them down and just start right from day one with a quiet sitting meditation, watching your breath breath, and watch your thoughts go by, uh, much less if somebody has trauma. So anyway, mm-hmm. the, the fourth or nine weren't, weren't designed specifically for trauma, although I think sometimes they touch them in a, in a positive way. But as far as cleaning out the shame and the guilt and the resentment that get in the way of mindfulness, make, make sitting and meditating virtually impossible. Um, they're they're just an incredible therapeutic process. And they're they're actually a very mm-hmm. cognitive behavior process. You write things down. You you have the behavior of sharing, which makes it also an interpersonal process. You know, you pray and then you write another list of people you've harmed, and then you actually go out and, and make amends. I mean, this is all very cognitive behavioral, but um, it it 
it has the effect of when somebody's done all that and they've gotten the relief from doing all that, um, that they might actually be able to sit still and meditate for five minutes. So mm-hmm. being, being those steps are not, they, they are uh, preparatory, they're healing, they're, um, you know, they get somebody ready. And I have another idea for an article I haven't written, I may never, but it's, it's a good title. It's what Bill W. knew that the Buddha didn't. And uh, huh. there's a very good, there's a very good reason that meditation is step 11, not step one. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of work to be done before somebody can, can use meditation. You can use prayer very powerfully. And some people use meditation. I'm, I, it's not, we don't have to be dogmatic about it, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, Bill, Bill understood where somebody is and, and what's necessary just to get that plug in the jug and keep it there long enough to be able to grow in, in other ways. And, and, uh, anyway, so I don't know if that answers the uh, question, but to just jump over to step 10 in taking a continuing mm-hmm. inventory is a continuing look at self, a continuing, you know, seeking for things that might, you know, get in the way of recovery, but also of mindfulness. And it's a mindful practice, you know, to sit down at the end of the day and go over your day and take a look at what did I do and do I have guilt about something or resentment or anger or whatever. Uh, and deal with it. That's a mindful practice. And step 11, the prayer and meditation, both of them are mindful. And then 12, where you try to practice your principles, you can't do that without paying attention. In order to practice a principle in all my affairs, I've got to pay attention to my affairs and whether I'm following a principle. And that's mindful. And the part of the step where you help other people, if you're trying to help somebody else who's still suffering, you're looking you're looking your disease right in the face. I mean, the value of a newcomer is this is what's waiting for me if I get complacent. This is what's waiting for me if, <laughs> I, keep, you know, if I don't keep working. And so it's, it's a booster shot for the awareness um, that it ain't alcoholism, it's alcoholism. It's a booster shot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the process of sponsor, throw that in that, you know, the, every sponsor I've ever talked to has said that I, I learn more about the steps every time I help somebody else through them. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So when you're saying all this, yeah, it's great. It makes me, what, what it brings to mind, to me anyway, and, and I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this, George, is that the real purpose of mindfulness and the real purpose of the 12 steps is honesty. What do you think about that? Well, The phrase in my head um, would be that the, in some ways, the real purpose of the steps actually is conscious contact. Mm -hmm. And you have conscious contact if you're not being honest (laughs) any more than you can if you're being judgmental. So Mm -hmm. honesty, honesty is, it's, Thich Han says mindfulness is both a means and an end. And I suspect that's true for, for honesty because if you're not honest, you can't be comfortable. You're not going to want to stay in the present moment. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. sort of, I guess, I don't know if I agree or disagree, but I, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting way of putting it. Right. Yeah. Um, what, it, it doesn't matter if we agree. Just, it's just an interesting thought. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, that, that sense of that 
back to the whole idea of um, that sometimes, unfortunately, uh, it can happen uh, in spiritual communities, is that, that kind of idea that I, I can get a spiritual bypass, that I can sort of meditate my way out of my life. And, and I, don't, I think that's a perversion of meditation you, and mindfulness, certainly a perversion of the steps. You know, you know another, another way summarizing it that fits what you're saying about honesty is that all, you know, we really basically need to be able to, to see reality clearly, which is one mm-hmm. of the definitions of the insider of the pasna is, I believe, seeing clearly. And, um, you know, we can't, if we're, if we're lying, even if we know we're lying, something in us is not seeing clearly or we wouldn't be doing that. And the more we lie, the right. less clearly we're going to be able to see. So honesty, mm-hmm. honesty, clearly, conscious contact, they're all kind of wrapped up with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. So in this article that you're going to write someday about what right. um, Bill W. knew that the Buddha didn't, I love that. Um, what, right. anything else that you would put in there in addition to what you've already uh, shared about that? Let me think. I, well, partly, you know, the whole idea of why Step 11 meditation is in Step 11. Um, and by the way, in the big book, when he talks about meditation, um, because he was the primary author, um, Bill encourages people. He says, you know, I mean, he wrote that when he was like two and a half years sober. He said, I, you know, we don't know that much prayer and meditation. There are lots of good books out there, lots of people that know. Go look for them. So when somebody pounds on the big book and says, if it isn't in the big book, I'm not interested, well, the big book itself says, go look, you know, seek out these other, other sources, people who, who know. Um, so now that I've stalled answering your question about what else I would put in the, in the article, um, <laughs> what, Bill w, what Bill W. knew. Uh, okay, I think what it, it comes down to is the appreciation for the difference between physiological craving, possibly based on heredity, but it, it's, it's not even whether it's hereditary or not, just physiological craving and the sort of cravings involved in an attachment. Um, the distinction uh-huh. I would make is, you know, reversible craving. Like if, I have a cra- if I'm greedy and I have a craving for money, I can sit, I can observe, I can have a transformation, I can still spend money. But if I have a physiological irreversible craving for alcohol or even cigarettes, much less meth, cocaine, or heroin, I can sit till I'm blue in the face, literally. I will never be able to use a little bit of what I used to be you know, what, what, I was, what I was physically addicted to. That simple, I think the right. simple distinction, it really comes down to the disease concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that there's a physiological difference in somebody with an addiction um, that's, that's not the same as being addicted, addicted to money or, well, I don't know, you know, the research people, probably they'll come out with something about the same neurotransmitters are triggered. I know it is, it's true for gambling. Um, right. The same neurotransmitters are triggered as for cocaine, but I think we tell our gamblers, you know, you're not going to be able to play penny-ante poker, you know, you're going to have to quit gambling, abstinence. Right. And I think that's cool. The the thing is, Buddhism is, it starts with abstinence. One of the great mysteries is how people say that they're Buddhists and they're drinking their faces off. I mean, we have people who founded, I'm not going to name names, but people who founded major Buddhist institutions in this country who were known alcoholic uh, cocaine users. And we've had some of the early authors who wrote uh, some of the early things that brought Buddhism to Western civilization 
uh, dying of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I can think of two in particular. Right. And I, That's true. I've known, I've known people who meditated for years and were quite devout and had great experiences with it and kept, kept right on drinking. And it did not interfere. The two things were like two separate things. So meditation, I don't think meditation is a cure for uh, addiction or alcoholism. And yet I think it, it, can, it can be a really helpful and, and in some cases just plain necessary. Right. I don't know if that makes Unfortunately, our time is up. I love this. I love what you brought up at the end. And, and I'm going to invite you back to be my guest um, in, in a future program here on Spirit of Recovery because those are really important concepts. George, thank you so much for what you have shared today. It's just wonderful, and uh, appreciate your your presence. My guest is George DeWars. We have talked about 12 Steps, a Mindful Approach to Life, and um, thanks for listening with us today, and uh, have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next week on The Spirit of Recovery. Thanks for being my guest, George. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Spirituality into your own hands? Bucking corporate religion in favor of finding your own path? Do you cross the boundary between religion and science? Or between religions themselves? Do you like a dose of humor with your truth-seeking? If you answered yes, you're what we call a holy rascal. Join Rabbi Rami Shapiro for How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Central. Rami and his guests will engage in lively, humorous discussions about what it means to be a spiritual human being in the 21st century. How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m., only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. If you are able to safely turn your attention away from the demands of your activities, quiet your mind and affirm, There is a divine plan at work in my life. I now relax, let go, and let it unfold. Listen attentively, inwardly, without projecting any thoughts about what you think should happen or be experienced. Become as a child. Trusting and receptive to the guidance of spirit within. This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, 
I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.